Hey there, it's Jeff Benjamin along with Bruce Kelly for The Investment News Podcast. We're on week six now of this adventure, and this week we have a special guest, uh, Danny Fava from InvestNet, brand new from InvestNet. A week ago, she was at TD Ameritrade. First, let me check in with my colleague, Bruce Kelly. How you doing there, Bruce? I'm fantastic, Professor. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, Danny, how you doing? How's the new job? Have you met any of your colleagues yet? <laughs> I am. I am doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. And I have met quite a few people over video. Uh, the InvestNet office is not open at the moment because of COVID. So I am officially starting a job, a new job during a pandemic. Yeah, that's an adventure in itself. Let's start by telling us what you're going to do at InvestNet. I understand this is a brand new position in a, a brand new department, right, of InvestNet? Yeah, that's exactly right. So InvestNet has formed a strategy office, which I think mm-hmm. is is really smart in their position because they have grown quite a bit, um, both organically and through acquisitions over the past few years. And so now they have a fleet, I call it a fleet of cars, right? They have classic cars and they have race cars and they have electric cars. Oh, yeah. And what they needed to do is they needed the ways of the organization to say, you know, what's on the road ahead? What's the quickest way to get to, to your destination? What is your destination? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what the strategy office is going to do. And I've been hired as the head of strategic development. But Danny, InvestNet doesn't sell cars. It's not Tesla. <laughs> Good point. Or I don't know, Good maybe point. Elon Musk never, can take credit <laughs> for, for InvestNet too. You know, he might as well, right? He thinks he invented everything. So what is it? You're at? I, I, I got muddled up in classic cars and new cars and whatever because I'm not a car guy. But what, what are you actually going to be doing there? So we're taking a look at all of their products and solutions and services. And we're going to figure out, you know, how do we use that ecosystem and how do we transform it into financial wellness for everyone? That's the mission, um, simply stated. How different is this going to be from what you were doing at TD? I know at TD you you were a highly sought after speaker. Uh, you were known for your, your fintech expertise and, and insights, but you are focusing primarily or talking primarily to an RIA audience, right? Now, talk about how this you're you're looking at a broader scope of financial services and wealth management at InvestNet, correct? That's right. Um, I think that you, you hit you hit the nail on the head, Jeff. This does expand my purview. It expands the audience. But I really think the mission is the same. Every financial advisor, every um fiduciary out there has got the same mission. They have a group of clients and they want to lead their clients to financial health and wellness. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, my job at TD Ameritrade as an innovator, uh, seeking out opportunities and new technologies for RIAs, um, it's going to be, it's going to be similar. My job here at investment is going to be similar. It's going to be seeking out the best path and the best technologies and the best story to get advisors and their clients to that same goal. Mm-hmm. Will advisors still see you at conferences? Are you still going to be speaking and you expect that to be still kind of your part of your first, job? I think the first question is, what, when are we going to have conferences again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you know that answer, we would like that right now, please. <laughs> um, I hope that they're coming back soon. Um, I did just do a virtual event for um, the AICPA where I did a keynote 
on my first day on the job at InvestNet, I did that keynote for AICPA. I have uh, another panel coming up at Bob Barris's Insider Forum. Uh-huh. Uh, Jason Wank and I are going to be talking about finding innovation everywhere. And so I think the natural answer is yes, of course, I will still be at conferences. I'll still be speaking about innovation. You know, I'll just have have a different job title and a brand new company to to move forward with. Danny, what's an area of technology that you could see InvestNet focusing on as your work there progresses? I mean, you're just jumping in this week. Yeah, it's... Um, you said, what's what's the, you know, 12, 18, 24 months out, what might be something that you will be, could be potentially spearheading in terms of the technology that you're talking about that gets in front of advisors and or their yeah. clients? You know, it's it's really too early to to tell, but I'll tell you um, one piece that's that's standing out to me right now as being very interesting is the data, right? So Investnet has a whole ecosystem of data everywhere about everything, and as the financial advice profession has progressed, it's become increasingly important to see the client's entire wealth picture in order to understand the path forward and to give them the best advice. And I think InvestNet is so very powerful because of the data that it possesses. And I think we're going to move forward in our ability to really use that data to empower financial advisors. Can you talk to us a little bit about the uh, the departure from TD? I know you were there for eight years. Um, you're still a kid, so you got a bright, long future ahead of you. But, um, I mean, you know, TD is being acquired by Schwab. I can't imagine they came forward with a counteroffer or anything like that, did they? Or is that none of my business? I'm, I'm not at liberty to, um, to discuss anything about Schwab and their endeavors. What I can say is that, um, you know, how grateful I am for TD Ameritrade for giving me the platform and the space that they have given me. Um, uh-huh. about how they, you know, taught me what to, what to look for in a company as far as culture is concerned. I think culture is one of the most important things for someone to think about when joining a new company. And TD Ameritrade's culture was just amazing. And I believe that InvestNet has a similarly amazing culture. And, I, and that's kind of what drew me to them. You know, that's what I noticed right away when speaking to Bill Prager. And that, that's really my primary reason for taking this role was just the natural fit that I see myself here at Investment. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how this came about? I think when we talked uh, yesterday, you were telling me that you, this kind of little bit of the seed was planted in February at a, at a conference, a meeting yeah. with Craiger, Bill Craiger. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to give credit to, to um, you know, it comes full circle to my uh, speaking opportunities and just being you know, TD Ameritrade giving me that space to be out there talking about innovative technologies and about where I see the industry headed. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Bill Frager and Edmund Walters were at that conference at Joel Brookenstein's T3 conference in San Diego. And that's where we first officially met um, and started having informal conversations back then, um, which just led to led us up to this point. Yeah, I, I I know you're a star out there in our audience. If they're if they are in this industry at all, they know you. Um, one thing I got to share, though, is that it, what I think is really kind of fun 
is that you have two Twitter accounts. One is, <laughs> I think you call your personal account, which I, re- I advise everyone to follow because it's a lot of good, fun stuff. And one is your professional account, which has this awkward handle of, I think, Danielle Fava at TD or something like that, right? I mean, so that's a... <laughs> go ahead. It was, so my, my personal, <laughs> aka fun handle is at Danielle Fava. That's my full name. My professional Twitter account is at <laughs> is at Danny Fava underscore TDA, which I recently renamed to underscore TBD, just to keep the, oh, <laughs> keep the suspense going about where I was headed. Um, but I believe you will see a new Twitter account coming, something like ENV uh, Fava. Yeah, that, that's the, the way InvestNet does their handles. Yeah. For anyone who's ever changed a Twitter handle, let me tell you, I had the fancy blue check mark for a while there, and then my Twitter handle was was too close to a journalist at Billboard magazine, and I kept getting a lot of snarky replies to music reviews that I never did. So I changed my handle and lost my uh, lost my check mark. So. But, oh. Danny, uh, just, you only have 2,400 <laughs> followers. You need to get some more followers over there. <laughs> I know. I hope you get a few from our from this thing. You know. I I hope so too. I think I think that's right. I think Jeff Jeff's got me covered, right, Jeff? I get kid you not. Get me well, I just check. followed you. <laughs> she is funny. I mean, there's stuff. I laugh out loud sometimes in the middle of the day. Here's one you did from a few months ago. You had a picture of your neighbors for getting a pool installed and something like that. And says, I think it's time to to meet my neighbors. Just, <laughs> <laughs> your your yeah, picture is hilarious here too. You know, you got Rick Edelman there looking very serious <laughs> on stage <laughs> with a few other industry folks. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. That was a great panel. Danny Fava. What hey, I, what do you, what do you know about the TD uh, Schwab TD name? Come on. You got to have a little bit of inside dirt for us. Uh, <laughs> you know, TD's name has changed. It's evolved since the seventies from, everything. But uh, I can't imagine Schwab's going to give up that name. It's not going to be Schwab trade. I think TD is going to get folded in and that's just I, my thinking. But I, I would take the over on that. I think that uh, TD Ameritrade, in my opinion, and I have no I have no information on this, um, but I would say that TD Ameritrade as a brand is going to go away. So hold on to all of the all of the tchotchkes that you've gotten from our the conferences in the past because they're going to be worth something someday. I know they're like they're like Washington Redskin hats. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't know if you can say that word. Washington football team hats. Anyway, on that note, uh, Danny, we're glad you could be here with Thanks, us. Thanks, Danny. Welcome. Congrats on the new uh, on the new gig. I'm sure it's going to yeah. be great. Thank you so much. Yeah, really, and you're going to be great. Thanks. We're going to be following you, and and you know maybe we'll have have you come back again once you've got your uh, your sea legs over there and tell us a lot of good stuff going on in Investnet. Okay, tell us about I how they're using that to. data. I would love to. <laughs> I will. Uh, I'm looking forward to it already. I'll talk to you soon, guys. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So, Bruce, what can you tell me about this GPB capital? Uh, the headline here with GPB, Jeff, is that everybody's making money except for the investors. That doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't sound good at all. So there was, I've been writing about this for two years, a little more than two years, and um, some people still don't know about it, right? So there's been a steady stream of bad news about this uh, organization, GPB. They're an alternative asset manager. They raised... 1.8 billion from investors um, to 
by auto dealerships and trash hauling businesses. And the investors, they're, they're uh, private partnerships. So the limited partners, the investors, you know, were kicking in 50 or 100 grand each and uh, in increments of 50 or $100,000. And then um, supposed to see seven or 8% returns off that money. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, like I said, everyone's been making making uh, money uh, except for the investors, the broker dealers that sold them, the brokers that sold them, the uh, GPB, the asset manager itself, because none of the investments so far have actually generated any real returns. Investors were getting back their own capital uh, for years off of this thing. So what's happened most recently was that GPB filed its form ADV uh, with the SEC at the end of June, and a lot of people were anticipating this, and they reported uh, roughly $200 million less in assets than they had in the prior 18-month period. When I called them up and said, hey, what happened to the $200 million bucks? Mm-hmm. You guys are supposed to own hard assets. It's not like the market fluctuates or something. They said to me, what do you mean? (laughs) And I said, well, your ADV from the end of 2017 says one thing. And then the ADV, the latest ADV was for June of last year, 2019, Mm -hmm. says $200 million less. That's That's what I mean. And they said, oh, we'll get back to you. Wow. And they never got back to me. So like I said, they raised the... Almost $2 billion, Jeff. Uh-huh. 60 broker-dealers sold this thing. They, they raised the money from 2013 to 2018. It all started to go wrong when they said that uh, we haven't done our audited financials for our various funds, our various, our various uh, limited partnerships. Right. And they've been promising investors and advisors audits month after month, year after year. And for two years later, there's, there's been no audits. And without audits, you know, how can you trust the financial soundness, right, of, of, a, of a company or an entity? How can they so get away they, with, not, with not doing their audits? That's a great question. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're being investigated by the SEC. Their offices last February of 2019, it seems like a decade ago, uh, were raided by the FBI. Literally, the FBI came in and uh-huh. carted out boxes of materials. Bill Galvin up in Massachusetts, the most hated regulator, right, in the securities industry, is investigating them. New York State's investigating them. Joe Borg down in Alabama, another guy the industry doesn't like, is investigating them. And investors are totally in the dark. So that's the result. And now we got the plaintiff's lawyers are circling. They're looking to sue the pants off of any broker-dealer that sold this thing. And one of the biggest groups that sold it were some brokers at the advisor group. Mm-hmm. And advisor group is a huge network of broker dealers yeah, with thousands of advisors. So Bruce, let me understand this a little bit. You said they raised $2 billion from investors selling them through all right. these, these brokers. Yes. What do they have? You said they have what, 500 million or less than that. What happened to the rest of that money? The money is divided up into like six or seven different funds. Okay. So yeah. as I understand it, the business registered with the SEC, which files the form ADV, doesn't control all of the $2 billion, Okay. Right? Or the $1.8 billion. It controls a portion of it, 25 or 30% or something like that. I got you. So at the end of 2017, 
they said they had roughly $430 million in assets and regulatory assets under management. Mm-hmm. A year and a half later, they say, oh, it's down to $230 million. I said, where did it go? Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a mess. I mean, I know that these are real assets and they are not real liquid and the valuations of them will come annually at best, but that doesn't explain away $200 million. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the businesses they bought didn't lose $200 million in 18 months, didn't lose $200 million in value in 18 months. Right. It right? doesn't sound like they, they would have. Um, what these are, are these sold in, uh, as private equity? Uh, it sounds like private equity. It's, it's right? pitched as private equity. Yeah. Okay. And, and so they're private partnerships and you invest, you know, through like hundred thousand uh, dollar piece. Yeah, and you have to be qualified. You have to be high net worth yeah. to, to invest this way. Yes. Um, and why are they sold? So, I mean, why do people buy these things? Because they're, they're pushed hard. They're high commissions. They were, they were supposed to be kicking off seven or 8%. Oh. They were supposed to be kicking off seven or 8%. And when these brokers, some of whom, you know, are very bright guys and some of whom really don't know what they're doing, <laughs> I think, right? Yeah. They see this thing. They see this shiny product. Oh, my gosh, 7 or 8%. Oh, it acts like a bond. Mm, that's a, that's a good know? bond. Oh, I'm buying car, I'm buying car dealerships. Mm-hmm. Oh, Warren Buffett just bought a big car dealership, right? Yeah. So that's the story that the broker can tell the little old lady from Topeka who's looking to put her money into something safe because the stock market is too volatile. That's the pitch yeah. that they use. Well, is it possible, Bruce, that these guys are in such dire straits that they that investors are getting their money back and that's where that money comes from? And investors are just pounding on the doors to get out and they're letting them out? That would have had to have been made public somehow. I don't see how you could give out of six or seven funds, you would have to give back. You know, one fund bought Auto dealerships. Other mm-hmm. another fund bought trash hauling businesses. Another fund bought a combination of those. Another fund bought other businesses. Mm. I don't know how you give people's money back without somehow you know informing the broker dealers, writing a letter. You know, I get all my information from the public. Right? They get these letters. <laughs> yeah. They send them to me, and they say, "What does this mean?" <laughs> you know. So I'd be very surprised if they were discounting people's money back and not telling us about it in some way. Yeah, that's well, I, I can't wait to hear how this thing ends. It's a real mess. It's, it, it doesn't it's, sound like it's going to end well. <laughs> it's a big mess. Yep. So what do we got next on the agenda, Bruce? Jeff, I wanted to ask you about the zero fee funds that you've been writing about. Oh, yeah. First off, what are they and how are they going to help or be of interest rather to financial advisors? Well, what they are, are are just funds. They're ETFs mostly, although Fidelity has some mutual funds that do this. And there's no expense ratio. Uh, we all know about the trend of fees going lower and lower and lower. Well, uh, some of these creative marketing folks decided to just go all the way to zero. And actually, there's one company called Salt Financial that tried for a year without a lot of luck to rebate, to actually pay investors five basis points to invest in its fund. So essentially, <laughs> if you invest $1,000, they'll pay you 50 cents. Right. Uh, and then there's the possible upside of the of the fund. This is just an index fund. It's a low beta index fund. 
Now, what happens is the these are seen mostly as teaser rates, the same way you get teaser rates from your cable company or your cell phone company or something like that. Right. Some are are holding firm to them. Uh, for Salt Beta, it didn't work. They they I think they attracted less than nine million bucks or something like that. They tried it for a year. They since moved uh, put it up to what was originally in the prospectus as twenty nine basis points. So from negative five to twenty nine. And then this uh, SALT Financial, that fund is now pending an acquisition by PACER Advisors, which will push that expense ratio to 60 basis points. That is pending shareholder approval. So that shows you what a teaser rate can look like. Uh, there are other funds. There's two from uh, SOFI. They are, they, I think a year year ago, they launched at zero and they're they're sticking to zero for two funds and they're one of them's got like a hundred million dollars and one of them has around 10 million or 12 million. Well, those are tiny. That's still not. Yeah. Yeah. It's even a hundred million is not great when you're, when you're not charging anything that just says, if you can't give something away, you might as well charge something and make something off it. But, but Vanguard charges what for, uh, for the S and P 500, it's only in the single digits, right? Yeah. You can get for two basis points. You can get a, you can get an S and P 500 exposure, and that's kind of the other so part. So how do of these guys compete? How do these guys compete with a Vanguard though? Who has That's the point. They the, don't compete. The they dominant can, market share. They they right. can't compete. In in the ETF space it's always been said if you're not first it doesn't matter. Because the first in there's so many different slices and dices of versions of of ETFs. You can get exposure to essentially anything in an ETF. But if you're going to launch a broad market ETF of S&P 500 fund index fund there's no mystery around it. So you just go with what's cheapest and cheapest in a brand name always wins. That's why Vanguard, iShares, uh, State Street, those guys dominate. But BNY Mellon did something interesting in in April. They launched two big uh, ETFs for free. And it's too early to to you know judge how well that's going to go. But this is BNY Mellon's first move into ETF space. And they're doing it in a clever way by, you know, they've got a big name. They're affiliated with the Pershing custodian. So they got access to all those advisors. That should be strong. And if that's not a teaser rate, you know, they shouldn't have a lot of trouble bumping that up a few basis points. And, and also keep in mind, you might ask, how do these guys make money? Well, they make money because they got your money in-house. They make money off the trading execution. They make money because they think that maybe you'll be interested in some of their other products that do charge fees. Right. And they can make money because in many cases, these are teaser rates. It's kind of that simple. There is another example, the only example in the mutual fund space of zero fees, and that's Fidelity. They launched four index mutual funds two years ago in 2018. And Again, this is the power of the brand. They launched them with zero fees and combined those four funds have attracted almost $10 billion. Right. So I wrote a story about this early in the week and the PR person over there confirmed to me that this zero fee is permanent at Fidelity. It's actually in each of the fund's name. It's zero. Right. It's Fidelity's zero something. So uh, you can kind of bank on that low fee there. So yeah, but the thing is it's it's interesting. You got these no-name, you know, startup fledgling asset managers trying to find a toehold in the market by 
competing on price uh, when they can't really compete on anything else. Uh, and they're thinking that financial advisors as the biggest buyers of ETFs will like catch their low fees on screens. But there are like 36 ETFs at least that charge four basis points or lower. I mean, remember, four basis points, that's 40 cents on $1,000. So right. cheap is cheap. When, you, when you're talking the difference between zero and 40 cents, most advisors are going to go with the brand name. Definitely. Uh, would any of the other big, would Schwab uh, consider dipping its toe into this, do you think, or, or what? Yeah, I'm sure they've got their own cheap things. And, you know, when you get to big index funds, especially broad market index funds like the S&P 500, which everybody has, you're not even going to get anybody to answer your phone call if you're at 10 basis points. So it's right. it's always going to be cheap. Now, granted, there are some really sophisticated ETF strategies out there that, are, that can justify higher fees because they're actively managed or they're they're in some esoteric market or they're they're in some really niche strategy. That's a different story. But if you're going if you can afford to be cheap, it has to be something very plain vanilla or, right. or not real creative. Jeff, how is it uh, down there in the summertime? Uh, it's North Carolina. It's toasty, warm, humid. Yeah, we had a warm week here in New York City, and it's it's this time of year. Things get hot in the old back office of broker-dealers, too. You know what I mean? <laughs> I bet. <laughs> uh, and they're get, they're, they were heating up uh, earlier this week and this weekend in the back office at Securities America, which is out of Omaha, Nebraska, out there on the plains, beautiful. I love the town, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm sure it's hot, it's hot as heck right now too. And and the reason why things are getting a little heated at Securities America is because they're moving 1,200 new advisors onto their platform. And those advisors are coming from broker dealers that were acquired by Advisor Group when it bought Ladenburg Thalman. And Advisor Group obviously looked at Ladenburg Thalman and said, "Hey, we could be more profitable if we closed down and." these three small broker dealers and pushed all the brokers onto this one platform of Securities America. Sounds cozy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds cozy and irritating. So the, (laughs) the, there was, there, there's always so much turmoil when these mergers happen and you squeeze more people and think of for 1200 advisors, everybody has 200 accounts. Yeah. Right. 200 clients, et cetera, all that money, all their, all, all their connected accounts, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about reams of data and information and all this kind of stuff. It could be a nightmare, right? So earlier this week, right. the advisors at Securities America were sent a nice, a nice little memo for management. You want me to read it to you? Yeah, I got to know this. <laughs> Due to high call volumes, the memo states, we are experiencing longer than normal wait times. We appreciate your patience. Yeah. I, I, so <laughs> the PR person from Securities America got back to me and said that Securities America anticipated the rise in volume due to the transition of these broker dealers uh-huh. and increased staffing proportionately. Well, it didn't seem to go as smoothly as they would have hoped. Mm-hmm. And this creates an issue because... It irritates the advisors, right? And it gives plenty of opportunity for recruiters and outside firms to give these guys a call and say, hey, look, there's all these problems with your back office. You can't get through to your people. 
you know, why don't you either take a bonus and come to work for us or mm -hmm. we're a nice small broker dealer, come to work with us and we'll give you lots of service and the attention that you deserve. So things were heated in the back office of Securities America this week, it sounds like. Yeah, sounds like it. Isn't that kind of a normal consolidation glitch, though, or, or no? Happens all I the mean, time. Happens all the time. You're in, a, you're in an industry that has consolidated massively over the mm -hmm. past 10 to 20 years, right? Right. You would think that there would be a playbook for how to do this and that everyone would just learn how to do this as seamlessly as possible. Even though I'm sure they're working to, it's still going to result in some amount of discomfort for people. Yeah, well, but they said they, they took care of it. And by Tuesday or Wednesday, they were they had smoothed out all the problems. So you got to give them credit for that. And, and they sent that nice letter that was so personal and, you know, <laughs> comforting and, and helpful. You know, we're sorry about your inconvenience. I, I'm just surprised they didn't leverage any like covid related, you know, excuse in there. Well, that's what you want to talk about. You've, you, you're living through the COVID. We're all living through the COVID. You have a little observation I think you want to share, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's my thing. I, You read that letter, that excuse. I mean, I don't know how about you, Bruce, but how many times have you called a business and found that the COVID reference to why uh, wait times are longer than normal? I'm thinking, I'm assuming that's probably has something to do with it. But I also know that if you want to make an excuse for your customer service, maybe lacking a little bit, it's right there sitting for you. It's low hanging fruit. You say, hey, throw that COVID thing on there. And, you know, people have a little more patience when we have them on hold for 25 minutes trying to get through their bank or their their airline or cable company, whatever. But you got you, you got to think these are jobs, though. These are work from home jobs, though. Right. All these service uh, jobs. I don't know if they're. They got, if they they've got, always been work from home. They, they must be now. They're working right? from home now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's bizarre. It's, it's, you know, I don't want to make light of the COVID or or any of the 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 bigger implications related to it. It's a very serious topic, obviously. But to me, I just can't get over how many times I'm thinking, why would this have anything to do with COVID? You, you got the same amount of people, probably. They're just working from different phones. It's not like they're all sharing a phone or something like that because of COVID. You're just throwing that on there because of COVID. We have longer than normal wait times, especially like the airlines. The airlines, I would think they got a lot of extra people sitting around doing nothing right now because you got nobody flying. When you ride the New York City subway every day, Jeff, mm -hmm. that, that kind of uh, blaming, you know, something uh, for the slowdown <laughs> Is is just part and parcel of the of the experience, man. So this is the rest of the country can get used to it. You know what we what we deal with, except it's not because of COVID. It's because of construction. Right. Right. You want to go from point A to point B. You can't because of construction, basically. Yeah. You know, and, so. and, and, you know, to be fair, anybody can use it. You know what I mean? You can say, hey, I'm I'm gaining weight because of the COVID or the lockdown. I'm, I'm losing weight because of the lockdown. You know, I, yes. I need a haircut because of the lockdown. I, my grass needs to be cut because of the lockdown. You know, there's. Well, that's how kind of all encompassing it is. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you, if you think about it, it's like, yeah, all of that stuff could be true. Yes. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's it, it is. Let's the hope world, that people world. aren't using it, using the <laughs> pandemic as an excuse 
for. Yeah, let's hope people are more responsible than that. <laughs> and I hope I didn't plant any seeds out there. So I'm, I'm trying to do do my, my part to make the world better, not worse. So that's it for this week. We'd like to thank our special guest, Danny Fava, once again, a new investment for uh, Investnet for dropping by. If it's Monday, that means it's another episode of the Investment News Podcast. You can find it, of course, at investmentnews.com and all your favorite podcast outlets, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Please give us a review or a shout out or some feedback. You can find us at Twitter. Me, I'm at BD News Guy. And uh, my colleague, the Professor Benjamin, is at Benji Writer. That's it for this week. We'll be talking to you next week. So long.